Good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to know who has deco up yet at their house. Yeah, that's okay. So most of you are like me. Who puts their deco up December 26th? Okay, that, that's closer to me. Um, is it cool walking in here though today? I mean, whether you're kind of ready for it or not, it's. I find Christmas is a lot like Jesus. He doesn't really care if you're ready. He's going to come regardless. And regardless of where your heart might be. And there's always this strange conflict for me at this time of year between going, I love this season like no other season of the year and everything that it literally drips, you know? And yet at the same time, it always comes around so, so mercilessly quick. And it comes around with such like, like this, this just out-of-the-gate horse race feel that you don't even know what hit you. There are certain things I find I need to do to prime myself, to prime the pump every Christmas season. Do you have these? One is, you know, Woodstock Square Friday night, go for the lighting or at least to see the lights. Do you ever do that? Um, if not, get down there and, and see it sometime. Um, there's certain... T- activities that our family does, certain destinations that, the truth be told, we don't even like going to all that much, but it's not Christmas without it. You, you have those? Um, one thing, though, that I do like, there are certain things you have to watch. Do you have a watch list every December? Certain movies, programs, whatever they might be, and um, may, maybe it's my generation speaking here, but, but one literally for me to this day is Charlie Brown Christmas is going in the DVD, right? Sometime through this season, that has to make a hit. And there's something about that story that, that evokes something. And I love what the storyline of that little 20-minute cartoon is, is really about, it's about a, a person depressed at Christmas. Well, it's about a person depressed all the time. Um, but of course, Christmas tends to bring that out of people. And it seems that everything around him is supposed to be happy, joyful. And people seem to be invested in it and in each other. And, and he finds himself on the sidelines, not feeling what he thinks he's supposed to feel. And so he starts looking for that deeper meaning in everything that people are purporting bring that sense, be it decoration or parties or, or service to others. Or, and we can make the list, right? And, and, and you've seen this. I mean, I'm not blowing any, you know, this is not a spoiler here. How does it end? Linus comes out, and he says something to the effect of, you, you want to know what Christmas is about? Charlie Brown, lights, please. And a spot hits him. And he says, lo, there were shepherds in the fields nearby. Because see, Linus knows King James. (laughs) And if you're going to do Christmas, you got to do it King James, right? And lo, there were shepherds in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, it's right here, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. It is this story, this story that, that undergirds at one level this season we seek to experience. At another level, the, the emotions in, 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 in emotional and spiritual impact that we hope it makes. But at a deeper level, it is the story that undergirds all stories of what God is doing in this world. We have been looking at this, this early follower of Jesus named Paul. And we've been looking at his experience with this Christ the Lord, this, this Messiah, and the impact that it made on him and how he wrote to believers about what this story is. See, Paul had a story, and Paul's story was Jesus' story. But Jesus had a story too, and it's that story that undergirds Paul's story and Jesus' story himself that I want to talk about because Paul, like Jesus, was rooted in something that we call the Old Testament. It is this, this grand narrative of what God has been doing in this world and where God has taken it, of which this story serves more like a climax than a complete story in itself. And if you trace this narrative of God, this, this grand narrative of God from beginning to end that flows through this channel. What you start to see is there are subplots, if I can put it that way. Stories within stories, threads or themes that, that draw between it and, and connect it together, kind of like a connective tissue upon which the entire Bible trajectory is written. There's four stories to be specific that Jesus came into and that Paul was immersed in. And what I'd like to do this December is help you know what those stories are about. Because by knowing that, it helps you know this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior of what? That's what today is going to be about. Because the answer to that is different than I think many people think who gather in rooms like these. That was the coolest opening rendition of He Reigns that I've ever heard with Genesis 1 worked in like that. That was awesome, man. And at the end of that, that, that amazing poem that opens the Bible, after six days of creation, it says, God saw all that he had made. And it was 
very good. There is this mistaken idea out there that's especially latched onto by people who call themselves Christian that somehow stuff is bad. That somehow this created stuff is unnecessary, unimportant, or in some way susceptible or even inferior to more important spiritual things. I have met believers who have thought that the idea of life was to end it so that they can go to be in a spiritual heaven forever apart from created things. There is an idea out there that somehow what it means to be Christian is to deny yourself of this stuff that is nothing more than a sham tempter in your life to drag your heart away from God. But God likes stuff. Remember that on Christmas morning as you're opening everything, right? God likes stuff. That's why he made it. And God doesn't make junk. And it says that, God, that after God made this, 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 amazing, this amazingly wild, abundant, diverse, beautiful, incredible creation, he looks at it and it's just like masterpiece. It is good. And for Jesus and Paul, creation at its core is fundamentally good. And it is this story of creation that that undergirds all of the other stories of which the Bible and Luke chapter 2 is about. Paul will even go so far in his writings to say this. In the creation of the world's God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they are clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made People are without excuse. You ever kind of hear that, that, that old like, kind of objection within Christian circles of like, what about those who have never heard? Or how can God justly like, judge someone who never got the chance to learn about God? You, you know this one, right? You, you wrestle with it ever? I hope, because you're normal if you do. Um, what would Paul say to that? This creation that God has made is not only good, it is pulsing with his presence. His his fingerprint is upon it. You want to find an essence of, of, of what this God of the universe is like, look around you and you will see his power, his nature clearly seeing so that no one can claim to have the excuse that God is somehow never heard of that. For God, this creation is something wonderful, and he likes his stuff. And what the entire Bible is about is a rescue operation, not just for you, but for the entire creation itself. Now, if you don't know the story, we've got to go on. Shortly after God makes this, this, this amazing, wonderful creation, 
We come to this, this, this episode in Genesis 3 where, where the humans who are, who are called to be the pinnacle of the creation rebel, they betray, and, and in the process, destroy all that God has made. God comes, he confronts them on it, and he starts laying out the consequences and the realities of what it means to be distant and in rebellion, other-facing from God. And he says to Adam, whose name just literally actually means like earth or ground or something like that. He says the ground man. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which is just a warning to every husband here. <laughs> Amen, brother. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it what happens? The ground gets punished. The earth gets punished. Cursed, not blessed. Cursed now is the ground because of you. And remember this line, it will produce thorns and thistles from you. That which I made to be good go with the imagery and the metaphor here, is now going to be teeming with corruption and destruction instead. That which I made to be a glimmering light of who I am is now vandalized and marred and torn down. What does it do to you? What does it do to you when you're on top and I don't mean in some egotistical, prideful kind of way. Don't, don't, don't go that direction with me. But when, when, when life is blessed. What does it do to you when life is blessed? And blessing is taken out on the knees. What does it do to you when, when, when blessing is taken out at the knees because it's your fault? But what does it do to you when blessing is taken out at the knees because of what someone else has done? Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? Wreaking the havoc and pain and destruction of the choices of someone else in your life? Now, I don't think creation has a mind or a soul, but if it did, man, it would be ticked. What did you do to me? Add... To be that which God calls very good. And I would love to hear God say those words to me someday. To be that which God calls very good. To now be cursed. And so early within the story of Genesis, we see this, 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 this pinnacle collapse and fall. And pregnant within the Bible there on out is this idea that somehow, in some way, God is going to come and set right his creation again. And the prophets are like chock full of this hope. Let me just show you a couple. Isaiah writes, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. Do you see the reversal of thorn and thistle? Here, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. They will see the glory of the Lord. It's like that which is destroyed is going to come back. 
There's this idea in the Christian mindset that, that, that when God comes, it's to destroy his creation. But if you read further on, God comes to renew it as well. And this has no bounds. It has no limits. It's a reversal of every corruption that came in. I like how Isaiah writes elsewhere. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will even swallow up death forever. I love those Christmas prophecies. Well, they didn't think they were Christmas prophecies, but that's how we call them. The wolf will lie down with the lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. The infant will play near the cobra's nest and they will neither harm nor destroy. What is, what is Isaiah seeing here? It is nothing short than the reclamation and restoration of that which God made very good. And Paul, in his writings, looks towards this day. This day when we stand in this creation that's been frustrated, not by its own choice, but as a result of a curse from people like me, yearning and hoping and waiting for its restoration again. And it's in this story that Paul meets Jesus. Because at some point in every one of our stories, there comes a point when we meet Jesus. And nothing is ever the same at that meeting point. For from that meeting point, ever again. When, when, when you meet Jesus, life does not just continue on like normal if you go, oh, oh that, that, that was nice. No, when you meet Jesus face to face, life is never the same again. And you're left with these options of rejecting him or denying him and putting yourself on a different path or falling in awe before him and never being the same again. And Paul meets Jesus, and he's never the same again, because by meeting Jesus, what it forces him to do is reinterpret and rethink everything that God has been leading up to in that story, and understanding what God is doing in his midst right there, right here, today. Because when Paul meets Jesus, he doesn't actually meet a baby in a feeding trough in a backwater town, nor does he meet a, a criminal nailed up, dying and destroyed on a tree. He meets something more. He meets a resurrected Jesus. He meets a Jesus who has come back from death. A Jesus who has swallowed up death forever. A Jesus who stands in a storyline that he knew.
Because the resurrection of Jesus is not just resuscitation. This is not like CPR. This is not just some dead guy, boom, coming back to life. It is nothing short in Paul's minds of God's new creation breaking in. He'll write this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He calls him what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know what the first fruit is? Right? It's anything except the other fruit. Right? When you harvest, things come progressively. And the first fruit is the very first. It is the first to come, which is amazing in its own right, but is also a signal, isn't it? Of what awaits. And he looks at Jesus' resurrection from the dead and he goes, it's breaking in. New creation. It is breaking in. The resurrection of Jesus is nothing short of the dawn of the new creation. That's why Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creation. If you are in Christ, you can share in that new creation too. The old with its curse and corruption and defilement and decay. It's gone. In Christ, it's gone. In Christ, you are new. Because God has mounted a cosmic rescue operation. It's for all his creation. And in Christ, it is breaking in. I love what Paul has to say. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself humanity? Sure. But more than that, all things. Whether things on heaven or things on earth, by making peace through his blood, shed on a cross. When Jesus died on a cross... He didn't just die to save you. He died to save it all. When Jesus gave his life, it went so beyond the scope. Of the human-centric way that I think we like to think. Do not be afraid, the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Why? Because today, this day, a savior has been born to you. A savior of humanity. But more than that, a savior of creation itself. For centuries, I don't know how many. At least back to the eighth, but I know well before that. Followers of Christ have been gathering, actually starting on this Sunday. Four weeks out before Christmas. 
gathering in a hope, in an anticipation that just as Christ has come to start ushering in new creation, so Christ will come again to bring it to its full. And my prayer and my encouragement for you these next few weeks leading up to that day that you grab onto that hope. Sink your teeth into it. Remember. Anticipate. Allow yourself to be like a kid who can't wait for presents to be open. Because Christ has come and Christ will come again. And when he does, new creation. Amen. Would you rise with me? When the ancient Christians would gather, they would gather to anticipate. They would also gather to repent. They would gather to repent because Christ has come and Christ will come again. And when Christ comes again, each of us stand accountable before him. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you Good news of great joy. No matter who you are, what you've become, or where you've been, God offers his salvation to you this day. In Jesus, Christ, our Lord. So I want to invite you... um, the soul search. Take a few moments and I encourage you in this practice to, to close your eyes to just kind of block out what's around and come to a time of you and God. And ask yourself a simple question in your prayer to Him. When you stand before God someday, In what ways will he call you to account? Don't be afraid of thinking about that. Instead, just talk to him about it. And in any way that your accounts come up short, confess that to him here today and ask his forgiveness. I invite you to pray this, uh, this prayer with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. 
we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name.